How many of you are ready for God's word? Are you really? Good, good, good. But before we get in the preaching of God's word, would you just turn to someone and just greet them in the Lord? Uh, now, granted, someone may not want to shake your hand, so give them a fist bump. Give them an elbow. Make some eye contact. Let them know what service you come to because we have some first service folks in the house. Come on. First service. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's not make a party of it, everyone. <laughs> we used to do meet and greet back when we were in the school. And it got so long, we had to cut it out. Literally, it went from a one-minute thing to two minutes. Then it went through. We were up to 10 minutes. And people were talking and having a great time. I said, we got to do some tacos. And they can do that in the, in the foyer before after the service, right? And so we're just glad you're here. We really are. Listen, I have, I have a very, very ambitious message uh, prepared. So... I really hope you're ready to feed on God's word. What I mean by that is I have three points, but about an hour and a half of material, we're going to cram it into about 40 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we, are, we do have a lot of material. So this isn't going to be a real light, easy meal. It's going to be like steak and potatoes, spiritually. So I'm warning you ahead of time because I don't want you to go, man, what in the world was you talking? You know, if we, can't, if we can't get into God's word at Christmas, I really don't know when. You know, we've got to get into God's word. And so we're going to talk about uh, the way Matthew structured his book. I love the book of Matthew. It includes probably the most... Um, just the, the best material to disciple somebody in. And discipleship's in my heart. I'm all about discipleship. And so when I read through the, through the Sermon on the Mount, I can't help but feel like, wow, this is what new believers need to hear. And you just go through it. And it's just so, so rich. And uh, I, I want to share with you that it's all about the timing, isn't it? Timing is everything. And sometimes we think that God just kind of showed up and, and there was no rhyme or reason. But the more you study God's word, the more you'll realize that there is a divine reason and a precision to everything that God does and everything that he has done. It didn't just happen. He predicted it. He prophesied it and everything laid out in perfect order. You know, I'm not always so... Uh, well, well, I'll get into that in a little bit, but, but today I want to I share with you the title of my message up front because we're part, of, we're, we're part of the sermon series, Timing is Everything, and today I want you to know that Jesus is coming. Come on, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You say, Pastor, are you going to make a prediction? Yes. Yes, he's coming soon. Soon. Sooner than you might think. Well, what time is it? I'm not sure exactly the time, but I do know this. It's getting late. It's getting real late. And so my message today is get ready. Your king is coming. Your king is coming. And I don't know if you know this, but, but the book of Matthew is an incredible, incredible book. The book of Matthew is written about a king. It's written to the Jewish people first, and then to the Gentiles. It's really, really interesting, Matthew's bent and his look, and he concentrates on revealing the king and portraying him in royal colors. I mean, he paints a royal picture. Of Jesus' coming. He starts off with the royal lineage. Wise men. Not just any wise men. But magi from the east. From the Parthian empire. From the fertile crescent area. The eastern empire. That they were king makers. And they come and coronate a king. They crown a king. He depicts Jesus being heralded by John the Baptist 
a, a, a Old Testament type prophet and who was actually prophesied by the Old Testament prophets that a man would come like a voice in the wilderness proclaiming, make way for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah. That was John the Baptist. He talks about the kingdom of God being at hand. He shows that in the temptation, he was tempted in an unprecedented offer of being given all the kingdoms that were rightfully his anyway. Not only does he show these tremendous things, but, but he also is the only book, the only gospel writer that includes the Sermon on the Mount. A collection of Jesus' greatest hits, or you might say a declaration of the kingdom, his Magna Carta, so to speak. He's laying out a conflict between the world and the kingdom of God. He includes many miracles that show the king's royal credentials. And authenticate his claim as king. His parables are called. Over and over. And show the mystery of the kingdom. So Matthew goes in through. Painstakingly to to show. What the kingdom is about. By including all of these parables. Matthew in chapter 22 shows that he hails from King David's line, which is prophesied in the Old Testament time and time and time again by the prophet Isaiah, by Samuel the prophet, by the psalmists over and over that he would come from David's line. Matthew shows him making the royal entrance into Jerusalem and claiming to be the king of kings. And even as he's facing the cross, he has the audacity to say that he will rise again and establish an everlasting kingdom. And Matthew captures that. He proclaims sovereign power to command angels. Matthew captures that. Not only does he proclaim uh, sovereign power to command angels, but he also Talks in terms of having absolute authority as he says, all authority in heaven and on earth are mine. Therefore, I command you or I commission you to go. To go make disciples. Matthew captures that. I want to also remind you that before he was born, his mother was in danger of rejection by, by Joseph. Matthew captures that part of it. See, what I want to show you is that Matthew reveals the king of kings, but also reveals this king of kings being rejected. Rejected. In constant conflict. In a fight. An epic spiritual battle. Between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus invades the kingdom of darkness. And behind enemy lines, defeats the enemy. Defeats the enemy. And here you have Matthew showing his rejection as his mother was in danger of being rejected by by Joseph. And faced even the possibility of death. When King Herod heard of his birth and killed every child under the age of two in the region. He had to flee to Egypt, hurrying for his life. Matthew depicts that. His forerunner and his cousin that heralded him as the king of kings was beheaded and tragically killed. During his time of ministry, he had no home, the Bible says, according to Matthew, and had no place to lay his head. He was a nomad, a wanderer. Why? Because this place wasn't his home. He came from a higher place. Matthew captures that. His parables demonstrate great wisdom and great insight to a kingdom that would outlast this world. Yet, they were not understood. Matthew captures that. Nowhere in the Gospels 
Does it chronicle as clearly as Matthew the bitterness and the rejection that the king would face? Also, also, he showed him being betrayed by his own people. And to his own people, he came, his own people would reject him. Again, I share with you that over and over and over, Matthew depicts the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. He shows a king being revealed, number one. That's point number one. He shows a king being rejected. That's point number two. But he spends more time than any other gospel writer on the return of the king. And that's point number three. So he reveals, he's rejected, but he talks about his promised return. And that's what I want to share with you, that, that the gospel writers show you over and over and over how in the perfect fulfillment of time, in the perfect fullness of time, Jesus entered time and space and he fulfilled a countless, I mean, so many, so many, so many prophecies. But Matthew focuses on seven. Seven prophecies in chapters one and two that Jesus fulfills. Now, what does seven indicate? Completion. That means he is completely God and he has fulfilled the scriptures. And these are the prophecies that Matthew uh, shows us. His genealogy is found right there in Matthew's gospel. What kind of genealogy? What do we mean by this? Well, The Bible says that he would come from the line of David. Matthew in chapter 22 says that he he is the son of David, the Messiah. This was predicted in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that he would come from the royal line. This is also predicted in Psalms 132, that he would come from the royal line. In Isaiah, it's predicted. And Matthew shows his royal right to the throne. How? He shows that he has a a a father in God, that God the Father is his father. That goes into point number two, because he was born of a virgin. Never before had this happened, never before will it happen again. Jesus, Jesus was miraculously conceived by the hand of God. But not only that, he needed the royal right of this earthly father to the kingdom. So Matthew shows that through the line of, of, of Joseph, he is king. He is king, or he comes from the line of David. But not only do we talk about the genealogy, also the virgin birth. The fact that he would be born in Bethlehem. The fact that he would be called out of Egypt. Jeremiah's prophecy about Rama would be, Rama would be fulfilled. That he would be a Nazarene and ultimately the wise men. So let's just get into it really, really quickly. Let's get into it. This is how he is revealed as king by Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that's very, very important. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now you say, Pastor, I don't understand this. See, this is very, very important because Matthew talks about this when he gets to the return. Stay with me on this. When a Jewish couple is betrothed, the families come together. They sign what is called the ketubah. That is a document covenanting. It's a covenant document committing them to be completely faithful to each other, but they don't join in sexual union. They're just joined together as husband and wife as a betrothal till the, till the son or the, the husband to be goes to his father's house and prepares a home for his bride. When he's done preparing that home for his bride, he tells his father, dad, I'm done. The the father comes and inspects his work. The father will look over his work, say, that's good work, son. Then he says, can I go get my bride? He says, I'll let you know. The father tells the son, I'll let you know. You'll see this again in Matthew chapter 24. So here Matthew starts off with this idea of Joseph and Mary being betrothed. 
it's during this year, year and a half of waiting that Mary ends up pregnant. She ends up pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. I want to highlight something to you about Joseph being a just man. He was a just man, meaning a righteous man. Notice how righteousness here also includes patience and kindness. Because justice, you would think, he could have what? Really socked it to her. He could have held her accountable for the law. But that's self-righteousness. In his righteousness, he knew that no one was perfect and that he loved her. And the last thing he wanted her to be is humiliated or harmed. And so he was going to do what a just man would do. And that is privately deal with this matter in a God-honoring way. And it was at this point that the Lord showed up to him in a dream and said, Listen, I need you to understand, Mary has not been unfaithful. This is my doing. She has been selected to be the mother of the Messiah. Think about this with me for a second. So that it may be fulfilled what the prophet had said, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Then Joseph arose from his sleep, did as the angel commanded him, and took to him his wife. But they were not together until after she had given birth. And so what prophecy does this fulfill? How about Isaiah seven fourteen that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. How about the next prophecy? In chapter 2, the Bible says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, right? And we have wrote, we've, we've come to worship him. Then King Herod heard this, and he was greatly disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. Now let me share a couple of things with you. Why would King Herod freak out? First of all, he was a petty tyrant who had been given the position by Rome after he, after he, he sought to, to basically, um, he was an opportunist. He wasn't even a Jew, but he asked Rome and positioned Rome to make him king and said, I will be loyal to you, the crown. So they made him king and he was always worried about being usurped or losing his position. Now, why were the Magi so intimidating to him? First of all, there weren't three. History tells us there were probably uh, numbers of them and they came with a royal guard. Why? Because they were, posi- they were people of prominence. See, the Magi are found... All throughout the Parthian Empire. What's the Parthian Empire? It's the empire that included Babylon and then later what? The Medes and the Persians. And on through as the east grew. Now Rome came from the west and was constantly in conflict with the eastern Parthian Empire. But these men were still very much in power. They were without a king at the time. And they had the prophecy of Daniel that a king would be born, a king to the Jews. Now the Jewish, the Jewish nation was part of the Parthian Empire. It had been taken over by who? By Nebuchadnezzar's father when Babylon took over Judah. And so I'm sharing this history with you because I want you to know that Jesus' birth is not a matter of happenstance. It's a matter of, of, of royal decree. Whose royal decree? God Almighty. God Almighty. So watch this. Watch this. They come searching for a king. They're kingmakers. What do we mean by kingmakers? See, in the Parthian Empire, they, they were a sort of judicial group 
legislative judicial group and that no one could become king unless they understood the wisdom of the Magi. That's why they're called wise men. In Nebuchadnezzar's time under Babylon, they were here. By the time the Medes and the Persians came along, they were here. What is it? What do I mean by that? They decided who would be the next king. They decided who would be the next king. So they're here to what? To crown Jesus king of the east. Why is that important? Because Matthew is going to show you, look, this is for the Jewish nation. But it's not just for the Jewish nation. I'll share this with you in a second, but stay with me on this. Stay with me. So Herod is freaking out because you've got these prominent people from the east that have been causing trouble to Rome the entire time that Rome has been in control. And the last thing he needs is for them to cause him trouble and get him what? Removed. So he freaks out and he asks his people to to find out where the child was to be born. Now watch this. The Bible says, verse 5, In Bethlehem in Judea they replied, For it has been written by the prophet Micah. Now let's read in Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are middle, you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth a ruler for Israel. Predicting the coming Messiah. Now I want you to think about this with me for a second. How did God get Joseph to Bethlehem? Did Joseph know and say, okay, since, since we're having the Messiah, we need to make sure to be in Bethlehem. Did Mary know and say, we need to make sure and be in Bethlehem. Stay with me on this. How did he get her, how did he get her there? He used Caesar Augusta. Who is Caesar Augusta? He's Caesar Octavian Augusta, the nephew of Julius Caesar, who defeats Mark Anthony. And he is a tyrant and an egomaniac. So much so that he claims to be God and claims to be Messiah. And he believes that he has created a worldwide peace called the Pax Romana. And he claims to be the Prince of Peace. Now, why would he purposely create a decree to have Mary go to Bethlehem so that she could give birth to a son and be hailed the king of the Jews and fulfill prophecy? Why would he do that? He would never do that, but he didn't know. But yet, he had determined some years earlier that he needed to have a census. Now, watch how this happens. He decrees something he never would have done if he had known. Isn't this beautiful? And then he uses the petty tyrant Herod and his insecurity to fulfill it. How do we know this? Because history tells us that Herod didn't fulfill the decree right when it was supposed to be fulfilled. Why? Because the Jewish people did not want to cooperate and he had to finagle it at the right time. And so if it had been done at the time that it was decreed, it would have been about three or four years before. But because of the circumstances taking place, Herod drug his feet and fulfilled it at this particular time. Do you think it was by accident? Or do you think that when God says he shall be born in Bethlehem because he is from the line of David, he shall be born in Bethlehem, doesn't matter what petty tyrant is on the throne, God's will will be done. God's will will be done. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. So let's just go through this. Then Herod finds out that the Magi were warned, or he doesn't know that they were warned, but he realizes they're not coming back to tell me where the kid was. Remember, the Magi go and they worship Christ. Then the Lord says, I don't want you to go tell Herod. He plans to kill him. You need to leave by another route. They leave. 
What's going on here? Matthew is revealing seven ways to Sunday that Jesus Christ is Messiah. He's revealing to you before the great rejection. Before the great rejection. What's the next revelation? Well, the next revelation is that Herod is dead set on killing baby Jesus. It's been some time, we know this, because the gospel writer tells us the Magi visited Jesus in a home. He wasn't in the stable anymore, so he was within his first year. Herod decides to kill every child two years and under. And so the angel of the Lord sends who? Jesus and his family to Egypt. Now, why would he send them to Egypt? Outside of Rome's control. Can I tell you? Because Hosea said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I have called my son. And this is exactly what the prophet says. Through Matthew, or this is what Matthew says in verse 14 when he says he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet who Hosea out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now I wish I could, I could really, really, really set the stage by telling you the different types of prophecies. You have verbal prophecy. You have a type prophecy here. That means Israel is a type of Christ. But here, Hosea's prophecy is being fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Keep going with me. Verse 16, Matthew 2. Then Herod realized what had happened, that the Magi had outwitted him, and he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the baby boys in in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now stay with me on this. What do you mean the time he had learned from the Magi? We'll get to this when we get to number seven in terms of the revelation. Watch this. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 15. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted. This is what's known as a near and far prophecy, a double fulfillment. Stay with me. What do we mean near and far? It means it has two fulfillments. One was in Israel and then the other, ultimately the most important in Jesus Christ. How so? Rachel is known as the mother of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. How? She's known as the mother of, she has two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph has a son named Ephraim. Israel is known in God's word as Ephraim most of the time. He represents the who? The northern kingdom. Benjamin is known for the southern kingdom. Ramah is a town right on the border, listen to me very closely, of the northern and the southern kingdom. When the Assyrians came and conquered the northern kingdom, they took exiles and tortured people in Ramah. Rachel is the mother of the northern kingdom through Israel. When Babylon came and took exiles from the southern kingdom, Judah, they went through Ramah. And there, Rachel refused to be comforted as she cried for Judah. But how does this have to do with Jesus? Well, Ramah is north of Jerusalem, but south of Jerusalem, as you're going towards Bethlehem, there is a high point called a Ramah, where where Rachel is buried. And when I went to Jerusalem and went to Bethlehem, the tour guide said, there is the tomb of Rachel. Rachel's tomb was there when what? When Herod ordered all 
the children to be killed in that region. Fulfilling what Jeremiah would say in a near and far prophecy. Isn't this beautiful? Some of you are thinking, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. I, I, why do I care? You should care because God doesn't just accidentally do things. And he prophesied that his son would come and it happened exactly according to his word. Guess what? He's prophesied he's coming back. And he was revealing some things to us. How many of you know when you reveal your heart, you're not always received? I can remember revealing my heart to Melissa. And I didn't know how to do it. So Jason, I was really nervous because I started having eyes for her and started feeling like, man, I I really like this girl. And she was kind of interested in other people and other people were interested in her. And she always just knew me as a friend. We grew up together. She was six, I was nine and we grew up together. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to reveal my heart. And so I went out and I just, I just, you know, I I asked her to walk with me by the river on the Frio river. It was beautiful. And we started talking and she says something like, you know what? I can really trust you because we've known each other so long. And I said, yeah, I kind of, I mean, you're like a baby sister to, oh, what in the world? Do you realize that's the worst thing you can say when you're trying to confess love? You don't put yourself in that brother, sister category. Am I right? What in the world? I thought to myself, I just blew it. Can I tell you? God's revelation is perfect. There's no mistake to God's revelation. No mistake to God's revelation. And so the Bible says that he would live in a town called Nazareth. When he came back from Egypt, one of Herod's relatives was still reigning. So God sent him to Nazareth, fulfilling what the prophet had said about Nazareth. Now the last one, rounding out the seven perfect revelations of God, is the wise men. Now, how in the world do the wise men who are not Jewish know that the king of the Jews is supposed to be born on that day? How did they know that? It was prophesied by the prophet Daniel. The prophecy was so profound that the devil himself tried to keep, listen to me, Keep the angel of God from bringing him the prophecy. Do you realize that this prophecy I'm about to show you is what all human history hinges on? And it's in God's word. How many of you knew that? No mistakes when God reveals something. He doesn't go, oh, you're my like my baby sister. Oh, what did I say? Jesus wasn't plan B. He didn't make a mistake. Redemption was always the plan. Jesus was always the plan. Daniel gets the prophecy that shows that Messiah would be rejected. But that still doesn't tell me how the Magi heard of it. Well, if you understand the story of Daniel, Daniel was in exile in Babylon. He was there when Babylon fell and the Medo-Persians took over. He was there to hand Cyrus the Great the scroll from Isaiah showing that he was called out by name by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before. Think about this with me for a second. Some of us are going, what does it matter? It matters. Listen, it matters because God has a perfect plan. He put Daniel at the right place at the right time. He's under King Nebuchadnezzar He's under King Cyrus for two, spanning two world empires, Daniel. And in chapter 5 of Daniel, verse 11, the Bible says that he was made the head of the Magi. How was he made the head of the Magi? By God's divine power. He becomes the head of the Magi, and then he reveals this prophecy of the Messiah being rejected. 
revealed, rejected, return. Here we get into point number two, being rejected. Matthew says that not only would this great king of glory be revealed, but that he would be rejected. He would be the stone that the builders rejected, fulfilling Psalms 118, that he would be the stone the builders rejected. He talks about this great prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. Stay with me on this. Daniel chapter 9, there's 70 weeks determined for your holy people. So Daniel literally says, okay, Israel, there's 70 weeks that are important for you. A week is a seven-year period. There will be seven and 62, meaning 69 weeks, and your Messiah will be crucified. At the time that your Messiah is crucified, it starts a period known as the church age. That's the period we're in now. We're in this period of the church age. My wife is telling me, you gotta get back on the platform. (laughs) Okay, I'll get back on the platform. (laughs) Stay with me on this. We're almost done. This is the period of the church age. So how do we know that the 69 weeks were over? Well, if you read the prophecy very very carefully, it says it'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. There's going to be a decree, a decree to rebuild the city wall of Jerusalem. That decree took place from Artaxerxes, the Medo-Persian king, to Nehemiah. You find that in the book of Nehemiah. The exact date. You calculate from that date according to Daniel's prophecy. And you know the exact date that Jesus entered Jerusalem. Hailed king of the Jews. Glory to God in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. So they knew exactly when Messiah would be rejected. Who is they? The Magi who had Daniel's prophecies. Because Daniel was the head of the Magi. What were they doing in Jerusalem? What were they doing asking King Herod? They were following the prophecy. Now watch this with me for a second. What is Matthew doing? Now I know this is heady and I know this is, this, this for some people you might not care. But Daniel is showing what all the Bible shows and including, including, in, uh, Matthew is showing what all the Bible shows including Daniel. That God is speaking to two groups of people. He's speaking to the Jew and he's speaking to the Gentile. Stay with me on this. Do you realize that Daniel is written in Aramaic and Hebrew? When it applies to the Jew, it's in Hebrew. When he applies to the Gentile, it's in Aramaic. This prophecy is written in Hebrew to the Jew because there's 70 weeks. There's seven 70 groups of seven years for the Jewish people to be called in to salvation. 69 have already taken place and Messiah was cut off. Messiah was crucified and the holy temple was torn down in 70 AD. Took place just the way Daniel said. What does this have to do with me? Listen, Matthew's entire book is organized the same way. The revelation of Messiah, the rejection of Messiah, and the return of Messiah. You go, really? What what, what do you mean? No one understand this. That from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be 62 weeks and the seven weeks that have already taken place. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And then Daniel goes on to say, there will be a prince of this world that rises up. We call him the Antichrist. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Remember I told you no gospel writer talks more about the return of the king than Daniel. I mean than Matthew. Than Matthew. Matthew gives two long chapters to the return of your king. Two long chapters. I want to highlight verse 15 for you. 
He's the only one that states this. Stay with me on this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let them understand. Do you realize that's exactly what Daniel said you need to understand? Daniel said Messiah will be cut off. There's going to be a period. He doesn't put a time to it. Why? Because he's talking to the Jews. We know that period has been at least 2,000 years because we're living in it. It's called the church age. What happens when Jesus was crucified? The church started. The church is mainly for the who? Gentiles. Why? Because the king was revealed. The king was rejected. Rejected by who? By the Jewish people. But there will be 70 weeks for who? For the holy city and your people, Daniel, to come in. That 70 weeks starts when Antichrist is revealed. Oh, crud. But I already knew that. Antichrist is nowhere near being revealed. Go to, go to verse 32 of the same prophecy in Matthew. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and it puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, you should know that the end is near. The entire chapter 24 and 25 are dedicated to show when the end is coming. He specifically talks about the fig tree. Do you realize that the fig tree Represents Israel. How is Daniel's prophecy laid out? 69 weeks. About God's people, Israel. Then a gap that we're currently living in. And then the last week is the seven years of tribulation. Where God's people get called back. The church ends when? With a rapture to start that last week that's all about Israel. The seven years of tribulation is all about Israel. The years we're living in now is about the church, the Gentiles. How is Matthew's book organized? Watch. Revelation of the king, rejection of the king, the church starts. You see him say to Peter, you are Peter. And upon this declaration, I will build my church. But then they ask him about what the end is like. And he shares an entire chapter. And he says, go back to Daniel. He says, go back to Daniel. When you see what was ha- what the prophet Daniel spoke of. And when you see the fig tree, meaning Israel beginning to bloom. Can I tell you that Israel being formed as a nation in, in 48, in 1948, fulfilled Ezekiel, fulfilled Jeremiah, fulfilled uh, Isaiah, fulfilled uh, Zechariah. Fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. The fig tree is blooming. I can show you how Jesus said, this prophecy, this gospel shall be preached in all the earth and then the end will come. Can I tell you? It's been preached in the entire world. Can I tell you that you, you might say, but, but pastor, no one knows the day or the hour. Remember what, how Matthew started with this idea of betrothal? If you keep reading, Jesus says, I don't know the day or the hour, but I go to prepare a place for my church. And when I call my church back, then I turn back to Israel to fulfill that 70 weeks. I will deal with my church and then I'm going to point back to Israel. But know that I'm about to come back when I start to deal with Israel and I start to call them back. And he has called them back, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And then he says this, no one knows the day or the hour because not even the son. Why? Because when the praise is prepared, then I go to the father and I say, dad, it's ready. And then he'll say, wait, I'll tell you when. I'll tell you when. 
And this is what he goes on to say. Now watch this. But of the day or the hour, no one knows. Let me read it off my screen. No one knows. But only my father. But as the days of, of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving themselves into marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came, so it, so it shall be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field and one will be raptured, taken, and the other left behind. Two women will be grinding and working and one will be taken, the other left behind. Therefore, watch and know because no one knows the day or the hour. But one thing I can tell you for certain is this. You can look at the fig tree. You can look at the prophecies that have been fulfilled day after day after day after day after day after day. And you can see the way the scripture was organized. That Messiah would be revealed. He would be rejected and he would return. And that it's about Israel. It really is about Israel. And he says over and over and over, when the time of the Gentiles is complete, I will call them home because we are the bride of Christ and the groom will come and collect his bride and we will go to be with her, with him, excuse me. And then the end will come. You say, oh, we're far from that. My last point. What shall I do? Receive. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because he's coming back. He's coming back. I know, guys, this was a heavy topic. I probably could have spent an entire sermon series on it. But I asked the Lord, Lord, do you really want me to preach this? He says, you need to tell people I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And there's no excuse because I've put it in my word. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. I've organized it in such an organized way. But we have to care enough to study it. It's organized. It's perfect. The revealing of a king. The rejection of a king. The returning of a king. The question is, have you received the king? The Bible says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God that is received, the gift of God that is received, not earned, received, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures. And if you believe in this king of glory that he's coming soon, you shall be saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask you a simple question. Have you put your... Have you put your absolute faith in Jesus Christ? Would you do that today? Maybe you've been dating Christ. I can remember when Melissa finally agreed to date me. I can also remember when Melissa finally agreed to marry me. I don't know why, but she did. Today, I want to give you the chance to receive Christ beyond dating. To give him everything. And to say, Lord, I want to marry you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I see your hand. Wow. Wow. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I've made that decision before, but today I I see something different. I see the word of God is no accident. It's, It's perfect timing. And the time is drawing near. I wanna make sure, I, I wanna recommit my life. Would you raise your hand? And let's pray together.
I'm going to say a simple prayer. Would you just say, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Father, this moment, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart that you are the son of God that you died for me and in you I shall be raised to eternal life Holy Spirit guide me and lead me I'll never be the same in Jesus name Amen Listen, if you prayed that prayer, you're part of the family of God. And I ask you to take the communion cup and let us partake together, reflecting upon his return. The Bible says that this is one of the signs of believers that we will celebrate what he did for us at the cross. And as we celebrate, we look forward to his return. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Thank you. Thank you for giving us eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.